0: Hey, everyone. Hey, and welcome to We Know Nothing, a podcast where we dive deep into topics we know nothing about.
1: Today's episode is about decriminalizing drugs. Derek and I are going to discuss whether it would be beneficial to drop criminal charges on drug possession and usage and rather focus on rehabilitation and safer access. Before we delve into our first segment, we want to remind you that this first part is going to be our discussion before we dive into heavy research. These are just our initial thoughts on the topic and anything that we have heard and learned from personal experiences, classes, social media, and online.
0: So, first things first, why did we choose the topic?
1: Um, So, we chose this topic just because drugs are so prevalent and highly discussed in today's society, whether it's through peers, classes, or politics. Uh, However, the possession and usage of them still carries criminal charges in the majority of states in the United States. So, with that being said, what do you think that we know so far about decriminalizing, uh, like, drug society in the United States?
0: So, I know we talked about this topic because of the news um, of Oregon, like, decriminalizing you know, some hard drugs. I don't really know the details because we haven't done any research yet, but I know that that was something that piqued our interest because, um, well, basically what our understanding of decriminalization is like, instead of imprisoning people who are found to be possessing or using hard drugs, they are instead like put into more of a rehabilitation program. And, um, I think one, it probably saves money because, like, you're not imprisoning people for so long. And, two, I'm hoping that, like, with rehabilitation there'll be less people addicted to the hard drugs and um, it could maybe help get people off the streets and off of drugs.
1: Yeah, I feel like the Oregon decriminalizing drugs, it was, I feel like it was a huge headline for, like, a day and then I haven't heard anything else beyond what has happened over there. Um, But we do know that states like Colorado and Massachusetts have legalized not hard drugs, but drugs like marijuana. Um,
0: Yeah, I think, like, recreational use is, like, a little different, though, because it's more, like, allowed. Like, you're allowed to, like, go to the store and buy marijuana. Whereas, like, decriminalizing hard drugs, I don't know if there's, like, a store where you can go and buy it. Um, But it's more, like... Instead of prison, you go to rehab or something.
1: Yeah. Well, you talked a little bit about maybe having like safe locations where um, like people can be administered hard drugs. I think I recall you saying that. Or like, not like it's legal, but like it's safer for people to get it. So that way they aren't misusing it and they can get help through. um, I don't know what it would be called. I haven't heard anything about it.
0: I don't know if this is just a a made up thing in my (laughs) head, but I'm pretty sure I heard about like safe injection sites where like you can go and like inject, I think heroin um, in a safe place with like a clean needle. That way it stops like the spread of like um, HIV and other diseases like that. Um, And you aren't like arrested because it's like a safe injection site. But I think, also, it's important to talk about the origins of, like, the problems that we, that, like, led us here, like, pharmaceutical companies and, like, the war on drugs and stuff like that. Um, do, you, do you know anything about those topics? Yeah,
1: so there's definitely a lot of fear-mongering revolving around drugs. Uh, we discussed a little bit about um, the war on drugs and when they would try to go into high schools using D.A.R.E. Um, I don't know. I don't remember what dare stands for. Do you know?
0: No, not off the top
1: of my head. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much they would come in. They're like, "Don't do drugs." I don't remember like anything what they had told us that was actually like beneficial. For me. I think I was just kind of like, "Okay, like I won't," but I don't think this is really helping anybody. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember anything, but
0: not really. I remember, like, the officer just, like, told us, like, about, like, what drugs are and, like, not to do them.
1: (laughs) I think they focused a lot on marijuana, too.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's one of the more common illegal drugs, especially here, Um, but also there's, like, the origins, like, of the war on drugs, like, with um, Nixon and, like, racism you know trying to like target communities of color so that they could like be mass incarcerated and like keeping them in poverty and things like that like it's like a very broad and deep subject.
1: I definitely think there's a lot going on behind it and especially with mass incarceration. Um I definitely think that it ties into Uh, prison reform which is another like big topic right now but i think that we're going to focus on whether or not it can be beneficial for society right now to decriminalize drugs in the united states um so do you want to start with your like before we do any research do you want to give any concluding thoughts
0: yeah i would say that i think decriminalization of drugs overall is a positive you know it focuses on rehabilitation and like helping not only society but also the individual and helping people break their addictions and instead of like putting them in jail keeping them in poverty and things like that but i can still see how there might be some gray areas like around the outsides like when it comes to maybe people who are like selling drugs to minors or things like that so i would need to do more research on, like, its effects before I had, like, a strong conclusion. What about you?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with wanting to do more research. But as of right now, uh, personally, I think that drugs should be decriminalized so that we can shift our focus to rehabilitation rather than punishment. Uh, Overall, I think that it could lead to safer access and just better programs that actually help educate society and especially younger people so that they aren't so misinformed about a lot of it
0: yeah that's a good point um so with that said let's do some research
1: cue the music
0: (laughs) okay so we've both done some research and we're ready to see what we know
1: Yeah, so I am going to talk about Oregon. And I know that it was a big topic because they were decriminalizing hard drugs, not just marijuana. So what I had found on that, and this was from an article back in 2020, stating that it's starting on February first, is that they're going to decriminalize drugs. Um, But this doesn't just mean that you can have as much as you want on your person. And for the Oregon Live website that I had found, it said that there's a list of limits on what you can and can't have. So for example, you can have under a gram of heroin and have it be considered a non-criminal violation. And now one to three grams would be a misdemeanor rather than a felony. So we know that a lot of states have decriminalized and are looking to legalize weed, but this is also including heroin. It includes, um, I want to say it includes LSD as well. But yeah, so that's what I found on Oregon.
0: Yeah, so it would basically be like, they're like adding like different limits or classifications for like when they find people with um, typically illegal drugs, like instead of always like making it like a felony or like a high, like a higher level crime, it's just like they reduce the... level of crime which is similar to like how certain states handle marijuana which is like something we wanted to talk about as well because um a surprising number of states have legalized or decriminalized marijuana in like some form so for example like the entire west coast has like legalized um, marijuana including arizona and you know alaska montana like a bunch of other states south dakota maine Um, and then you know even like many more states have done other like like levels of decriminalization like they have lots of states have medical and decriminalized marijuana and you know other things like that so it's really only six states where marijuana is still like currently fully illegal.
1: Yeah I was really surprised to hear that some like South Dakota has it completely legalized now like i didn't know that i thought it was only like california massachusetts and colorado
0: yeah like the kind of like states that maybe one would expect (laughs) um but i think a lot of it is you know people are starting to see through some of the um the fear-mongering and racist policies that were implemented like in the like in the 60s and 70s
1: yeah so i did a little bit of research on that and what I think of fear-mongering and drugs, like, what comes to my head is the movie from the 1900s called Reefer Madness, where they kind of tried to scare people into not wanting to, um, like, use marijuana by saying, like, you'll commit all these crimes and everything and don't let your kids smoke it, don't let your kids, like, abuse it. And now, like, nowadays, whenever, like, the poster sale comes to school, they sell, like, mock posters of this movie just because people find it so like outrageously absurd that it's kind of like funny to laugh at and just kind of look at it's a cool poster but besides Mm -hmm. that I also when I was like looking up fear-mongering um was the big one was the war on drugs with Nixon that um I know we talked about a little bit and how they kind of tried to criminalize these drugs so so that people that didn't support Nixon would be incarcerated and I think that in itself is like a form of fear-mongering like threatening to throw people in jail for using these drugs more so than on their health um so if you want to talk a little I know you did a little more research on the war on drugs with Nixon if you want to talk about it
0: Yeah, so basically, like if you wanted to like summarize it in like one sentence, it's Nixon intentionally treated a health issue as a criminal issue in order to um, perpetuate his campaign and like his power. So I found like an an interview with one of Nixon's like top um, aides when he was in the White House. Literally, I want to quote him exactly because I think this is an important quote. John Ehrlichman admitted, you want to know what this is really about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily we could disrupt those communities we could arrest their leaders we could raid their homes break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news did we know we were lying about the drugs of course we did so I mean he's just straight straight up admits that it was all a ploy to to put people in jail who were against Nixon and his um, like war in Vietnam and, you know, his racist policies. Like he just was keeping people down so they couldn't vote against him. And Nixon even hired a committee, like a nonpartisan committee to um, look into the effects of marijuana and its legalization and classification. And because Nixon classified it as a Schedule One drug, which means it's like the most dangerous kind of drug. And the committee unanimously declared that household marijuana usage was completely safe and should be legalized. And he just ignored them and classified it as a Schedule One drug anyway. So basically, the, the war on drugs started in like the 1960s and 80s, but it didn't end there because in the 1980s and 90s, um, they had... Like increased incarceration, especially under Ronald Reagan. Like, he was a big proponent of um, like the kind of like Republican um, law and order, keep our streets safe kind of policies that led to mass incarceration, especially of of people of color. And his wife, Nancy Reagan, also was like um, the originator of like just say no programs, kind of to, and like, I think there came from that, which basically. Um, targeted children with like this propaganda and fear-mongering about drugs and um, I don't know like more of like a miseducation of people so that they so that they associate drugs as a crime rather than as a health problem because as we know now especially um, addictions are diseases like if you're addicted to a drug you have a disease and it should be treated in a, like a hospital not by imprisonment
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I do think that, like, when I was even looking into Reefer Madness, like, this started back even in the 1930s. They, like, they listed it as, like, they said, um, they're like, oh, yeah, like, it was kind of, like, trying to, like, keep people out of the United States. And they would say, like, oh, like, Mexicans are coming to try and sell weed to your, I think their quote was, like, your white school students, and it's like so. Like it even goes back even further. But yeah, having someone in office like Nixon who's able to perpetuate that fear and like all that fear mongering even further. It's it's scary to think about.
0: Yeah, and that's why the ACLU um, has like called it like the new Jim Crow, like the American drug laws are like the new version of the Jim Crow laws, like to keep black people specifically from exercising their political power. Because if we target them and we associate them with drug usage, then we can keep them in jail. And then there are lots of states where you can't vote once you've been, if you've been convicted of a felony, you can never vote again, or mm-hmm. you can't vote for a certain period of time. Um, especially in the ACLU, article that I read it said that um, obviously policing is a huge problem with this like targeting of um, minority groups and it said that 80% of those pulled over and subjected to searches are minorities so if you take every time someone is pulled over and searched by a cop 80% of those times are people of a minority race so they're targeting them by searching them you know so it's it goes back to Um, that like police mentality where if they pull over a white person, they won't search them. They'll just pull them over and be like, okay, you're good to go. Here's a ticket or something. But if they pull over a person of color and they search them more frequently, of course they're going to find drugs more frequently because they're looking for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And with that, like with those searches, they're able to find like small amounts of marijuana and things like that, that a very vast, like not a majority, but a very large number of people You know, consume like consume marijuana in some form. You know, it's not that uncommon. It hasn't been that uncommon. So if you're looking hard enough, you're going to find it. Mm -hmm. And by finding it and using these like drug laws, like they imprison them more frequently. So it kind of perpetuates. You know, the same the same thing as the Jim Crow laws, where they keep them from voting and then keep um, men in prison so that they can't provide for their families, and then it, it has a cycle of poverty. So like decriminalization of drugs is obviously, um, you know, one problem on its own, but it ties to many different things, including racist policing policies that that could potentially be partially remedied by a decriminalization.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that definitely ties in with um, how people are Like, they assume, like, drugs equals crimes, and so I did look a little bit into crime rates, Um, and what I did find is that they did say that drug users are seven to eight times more likely to commit crimes compared to non-drug users, but like you said, like, marijuana, like, so many people, like, will either smoke or, like, ingest marijuana that, if you like look for it hard enough, you're going to find it. And they didn't really specify which drugs they were talking about when they said like drug users. So they also mentioned that in Australia, that 58% of prisoners um, admitted to high risk drinking, which I think is really important to note because alcohol, like you don't really think of it as a drug so much, even though it is. And how many people or how many people like a year are being arrested for DUIs and DWIs but still like that's legal in Mm -hmm. most I think yeah everywhere in the United States um and they also said that 67 percent of prisoners admitted to drug use 12 months prior but like I said they didn't really specify on which drugs these people were using or abusing and it's really interesting to think about had they treatment had they had treatment and access to safer options, would they be in jail at that time?
0: Yeah, and that's something that is really hard to, it's something that's really hard to figure out because there are so few like good examples of um, decriminalization of drugs in like larger countries. Um, One place that we did like was a pretty common theme among our research was Portugal because in 2001, Portugal decriminalized um, hard drugs so they were kind of you know one of the very few models that other places like Oregon could look into um, especially Oregon did this when it came to cost because they wanted um, obviously before they would pass the um, like their I don't even know what you call it but obviously before they like passed it back in November they wanted to have like a plan so they they followed this Portuguese model, which has proven effective in numerous ways, including like um, less like criminal charges means more people will seek help, and their their overdose death rate is five times lower in Portugal than the EU average. Um, HIV infection rates are lower, and um, so there are like a lot of ways that this Portuguese model has helped um, their country specifically. Um, And when it comes to government cost, like straight up money, Oregon has spent like, they spent $375 million on drug prohibition in 2016. So it's already like a really costly issue to try to face this drug crisis in their state and in many states. Um, So I think in Portugal, their like idea is that um, people would be sent like to this council or commission of health and legal experts And they evaluate the drug use that has been, like, evidence to them, and they decide, like, what's the best way to go about handling the situation? Is it, is this more of a health issue or a legal issue? Should this person, you know, be offered, like, various types of treatment, and, like, how much, and things like that? So the commission can like choose to issue a fine or mandate some form of therapy. And also they have just increased access to treatment. So you don't even have to be found like to be a, a hard drug user or like arrested. You could just go and find the treatment and Oregon spent $235 million on abuse treatment alone in 2017. So it's already very expensive and they're hoping to use some of their like excess tax money from, marijuana tax to be able to pay for some of this Um, but I found this article it's from 2003 so it's outdated but the numbers are probably similar proportions basically the cost of incarceration in 2003 per person per year was 27,000 in California and the cost of treatment for like um, drug abuse was only 4,500 so it just shows that if they treat rather than incarcerate we can save a bunch of money for the government which can then be used to do to fund these other programs like um you know health related treatment programs and the earlier we we help these people with their addictions the better chance they have at not continuing with doing those drugs and continue to do other harmful crimes like if they end up becoming further along you know what i'm saying
1: yeah I think it's important to note, like you said, um, that it's very hard to see how this would necessarily affect the United States just because Oregon is the first one to do it. Um, but yeah, looking to Portugal is a good example because they did this back in 2001. So they've already been able to see a lot of their studies on it in the past like 20 years. And I think that I'm hoping that Oregon does have the money and does find the money to kind of reallocate it to get more people help rather than just throwing people in jail and in prison. And I'm hoping that we'll see some positive effects from it and maybe be able to move forward with other states. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was the first half of our research. And so now we're going to take a little bit of break and start our brain break.
0: Okay and welcome to the Brain Break. Um, we just thought we wanted to throw this in here in the middle of the research section today because we are not doing an interview. Um, and we all just need a, a second. So we're gonna jump right into the word of the week, which <laughs> this week's word of the week is recidivism. So recidivism is the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend, And obviously this is related to drug decriminalization. Um, don't think that's much of an explanation needed. And Sophie, do you want to do the question of the week? Yes.
1: Yeah, so my question for you is, so now we know that Oregon is decriminalizing um, drugs. Do you, what do you think will be the next state to follow suit? if you had to choose one of the other 49 states
0: that's a good question i would say <laughs> maybe like massachusetts okay they already have like le- like legalized fully legalized marijuana and they're usually pretty pretty quick mm-hmm. pretty um, quick <laughs> <laughs> they like to jump on jump on things early so i would say so maybe massachusetts um, California is like a very big state, so it's mm. a lot more. There's a lot more like infrastructure involved in like having to switch everything from like a, a dr- very heavily criminalized drugs to not. Whereas Massachusetts has like a way less people in it, so maybe it'd be easier somewhere like that. That's true. Um,
1: yeah, I don't think I would have picked. Mass- I don't even. I don't even know what I would have said if I'm being honest. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> think about it. Um, but yeah so uh, just a reminder that if you guys are interested in following us on social media you can find us on instagram and twitter at we know nothing pc and you can also follow our website at we know nothing podcast.com and next up we will continue our research Okay
0: welcome back to the research. Um, We focused a lot about you know America and the United States and how we handled we would handle decriminalization of drugs here but Sophie do you want to talk about what Europe is doing?
1: Yeah so like you said we talked a little bit about um, Portugal earlier and just some facts about what they did. Um, As a reminder in 2001 they decriminalized drugs, and it's led to a lot of positive things happening over in Portugal, um, including a drop in overdoses and they decreased by 80%, as well as um, a drop in HIV infections among drug users. This also led to less problematic drug use and less drug use incarcerations, and also those looking for treatment increased Um So people were more likely to look over and look for help rather than being incarcerated. And I liked Portugal a lot as an example, because, like I said, they've been doing it since 2001. So they have a lot of research afterwards. It's been 20 years. And also... um, they had an opioid crisis, so they had to do something and they said this is very similar to what the United States is going through right now. So although we don't have a lot of information in the U.S. because no states have decriminalized, we can still look to other places in the world who were in a similar, similar situation as us.
0: Yeah, and I think specifically this like point about Portugal talks to the end goal you know, like, is the end goal of, you know, is the end goal here to get more people to be healthy and not addicted to drugs? Or is the end goal to keep people locked up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, as you pointed out, um, because of this, like, they've decreased overdoses by 80%. So clearly, there's a strong effect here that means people will be healthier and safer in the long run. And of course like it's going to cost like upfront. it's going to cost money and it's going to be weird to try to figure everything out and people are going to be mad because they're, they're going to think that you know violent criminals are on the streets, even though obviously violent crime versus nonviolent crime would be handled differently. But I think, I think it's important for people to look back at Portugal and see how they have treated how they have treated this issue.
1: Yeah, there was one um, resource that I found and they kind of talked about how it is like decriminalizing drugs is a human health centered solution. And like, what good does it do to just throw people in jail when they have like a disease and they're addicted to drugs? Oh, yeah.
0: And we and we know the prison prison is so costly. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also just space from it. I also researched on um, like the prison system a little bit and it talks about how it saves money from imprisonment and not only does it save money but like you mentioned earlier we can reallocate money from different areas and also people in court declined annually by 60 percent those behind bars declined from 44 percent in 1999 to 24 percent in 2013 so, not only are we saving money on people in prison, but we're also saving money in the court systems.
0: And yeah, and, and we're helping people mm-hmm. stay off of drugs and, and giving them like the medical help. You know, it's easier to treat people early on rather than wait until the, the situation has escalated to the point where they're like actually committing more violent crimes and things of that nature.
1: Yeah, I agree. 100%. Um, um sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I was just going to ask if you wanted to talk about a little bit about how like prison system like with the fr- labor and stuff.
1: Yeah, so I one article I found was a someone in prison talking about their personal experience and they mentioned how when they were in prison, they would have to wake up super early. And they would go and earn 26 cents an hour to sew t-shirts. But the way that they kind of framed it, like, not them personally, but people around them were like, oh, you're getting, like, experience in, like, a work ethic and, like, skills. But they kind of mentioned, they were like, yeah, but, like, what skills am I actually learning sewing shirts and people can't even help me because they don't even know how to use this equipment. Like this is pretty much just like free labor. And I think they said they got a three cent raise one time and like, what skills are you learning sewing t-shirts and how is this helping anybody?
0: Yeah. And that, and that's, that's a huge part of the problem is that the way that we would rehabilitate people needs to be very intentional because like, just giving people, you know, busy work basically doesn't prepare them to go from prison to a more um, long-term sustainable career. Mm -hmm. So if they're doing things like sewing t-shirts, like that skill isn't going to be that useful in like a typical United States, like town economy, like that's not something that most people do. So without those like skills and you know, without literacy programs and things of that nature, people, when they leave prison, don't have any way to make money other than um, resorting back to their old habits of drug usage, Um, you know, and then we get a lot of people that end up back in prison within the next three years after being released.
1: Yeah, so that also ties into our word of the day, recidivism. Um, I kind of try to look into what would happen comparably with like treatments rather than just imprisonment. And I found that therapeutic communities um, like OMT, which is opioid maintenance treatment, are more effective in in reducing the amount of people that come back to jail. And this is especially true if it's continued after the release. And what I found really interesting was that in 1993, the World Health Organization said, like, you should be implementing OMT and different treatments into prisons so that people can actually get help. But the study found, the same study found that in America, there was um, very few people that were actually getting this treatment and they were, I don't know, like, it just is interesting that the who literally is telling people like this is what works from a health perspective. Um, as well, that people aren't coming back into the system and you're still not going to implement that. And yeah, it was 11% of U.S. prisoners received drug treatment. And this is from 2018, this uh, epidemiology, oh my gosh, I'm not going to pronounce it, reviews. I'll post the link on the website. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's really interesting to like discard that.
0: So, obviously, the World Health Organization has already acknowledged that this is a, a, a health crisis mm-hmm. rather than a criminal issue. So, like, I looked into, like, long-term health effects of <clears throat> both being imprisoned and, and obviously letting drug use um, last, I guess. And basically, the article that I looked into... Um, they purported that stigma is really the big thing about, like there's a stigma about mental health and there's a stigma about drug usage that really affects these people um, because it prevents them from, first it prevents them from seeking like regular job and health services that normal people wouldn't be afraid to pursue. but it also, like, especially before the Affordable Care Act, kept people from getting health insurance because drug addictions were pre-existing conditions. And you know, with like, self-stigma and people like, criticizing themselves for being addicted to drugs, it kept them from being able to feel open to go find services that were willing to help them. And, um, and this was something that you know, was across the board, like anybody that was addicted to drugs like had some reason or another why they would not be able to seek treatment, and um, like we had said like a million times, like if we can treat it earlier, it prevents it from becoming a larger problem down the line. And again, it goes back to Portugal because this article specifically referenced Portugal's decriminalization in two thousand one. Because of this decriminalization, like it reduced the stigma around substance use. Um, so less people felt like they weren't able to, like, they weren't able to seek this medical help, both, like, physical and, like, mental um, help, and I think that the article says the criminalization could pave the pathway for expanded harm reduction and evidence-based public health, so basically, like, it's, like, a good first step in, like, using evidence as a way to treat public health issues rather than um, acting um, rashly and just banning things or like um, doing large-scale public health, treating large-scale public health as a political issue rather than a health issue. Um, You know, and obviously we already talked about how Portugal's like overdose has you know overdoses have decreased so much so there are numerous ways that long-term health of the individual and like our society as a whole like are changed by this and there's like one testimonial I found basically this woman her last name is Glickson she said you know I finally got treatment in prison and that's backwards um you know, she, and she asked the program administrators at her prison, like, why no addiction recovery program was available to her before she was put in prison, like, why did she have to get all the way to being arrested and imprisoned to be able to, to get this assistance, and they said it's just too expensive, but, you know, her response was, like, you know, she wonders, like, what she had cost the system all those years, like, all those years of being in and out of rehab and in and out of jail or prison and like in the like the justice system like <clears throat> all of that has like cost you know U.S. taxpayers so much money because we have to pay for courts we have to pay for public defenders we have to pay for all those things have to pay to keep her in prison you know pay for all the guards pay for the food pay for everything and then also pay for treatment when we could have just paid for the treatment
1: <laughs> yeah the logic isn't there and I think it just it just sounds like such a cop-out answer and like you said, it's a political thing. So people, like, they hear money, they're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess it'll cost a lot of money. But like you said, how much more money did it cost for her to have to go through all of that?
0: Yeah. And like the, it's basically like, you know, do you want to, do you want to take care of it earlier? Do you want to just put a Band-Aid on it and mm-hmm. let the wound get worse, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then the wound will get infected, infections, and, <laughs> and becomes a whole other problem uh-huh. that we didn't even have. Um and also prison, like, not only is prison expensive um, for the taxpayers, it's also, like, traumatic for the people that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you did some research about, like, mental trauma and um, from prisons, if you want to talk about that.
1: Yeah, so I kind of looked into um, <clears throat> how it can affect someone mentally. And I guess that this is, like, a big debate between, like, a lot of people researching the like trauma from prisons but I did find this one article that talked about the different conditions in jail and in prison that could affect someone mentally including the poor prison conditions how there are we're getting more prisoners but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's more money in the system leading to even worse conditions and when you go to jail you kind of become dependent on the system like you're on a schedule you're following someone else's schedule they're telling you what to do at certain times and you kind of don't have this privacy and it leads to more issues including um there's a distrust among other people and which leads people to kind of distance themselves and kind of watch their back more um and just all of this ties in with a diminished like self-worth like when you're in jail like I said especially with the free labor like that poor person was earning 26 cents an hour and they were telling her like or they're telling them they're like this is like a good thing like like that you're doing this and that's that's got to be like painful and one of the one things that I found that was really interesting was post-traumatic stress reactions in prison and when I first read this I thought that it meant like oh when you get out of prison like there's some things that can really trigger like a bad like stress reaction from what happened in jail but actually talks about how when you're in prison there can be triggers from in your childhood or before you had to come to jail that can be very triggering and cause a lot of mental stress and I wouldn't have even thought about that um but I do think that it is it could be a very bad environment especially for people who have Like predisposed issues and if people are having like drug addictions then just putting them into jail kind of like cold turkey can be really harmful as well and i also wanted to touch upon just a little bit because this is a whole like other ordeal was the stanford prison experiment back in the 1970s where they had a group of um a group of boys come in, and half of the half of the guys would be prisoners, and half of the guys would be, um, like, cellmates, Prisoner, I'm not, sorry, <laughs> they would be the prison guards, and it kind of goes through this whole experiment that was supposed to last two weeks, but then the prison guards had this, like, overwhelming like, sense of power over the prisoners that they had to end it in six days, and there's just so much that ties into that and talks about the prison system a little bit. Um, Like I said, that's from the 70s, so some could have changed, but I think that that's a really important um, experiment to look on if you want to kind of know the history of prisons as well.
0: Yeah, and I think the reason that it's so important is because it touches back all the way to the beginning of what we were talking about with the war on drugs. It goes back to, you know, these like systems of power, like self-perpetuating, where they Um, where they keep these sort of things and they make them, they make these drug policies seem justified by, um, I don't know, like vilifying these people for, for actions that would would normally be and should be treated as like a public health issue, but rather we treat them as a crime issue because it allows us to have power over these people and it makes us feel safe because, um you know, we have the power rather than them, mm-hmm. but obviously, like, as we have discussed, like, through this whole, this whole research portion, um, the, the logical and more effective way to handle, like, this public health crisis of, of drug usage and substance abuse is through a decriminalization process that allows for, rehabilitation and um, prison reform and a myriad of other of other methods that we can use to keep people safe from from the health problems and the addictions that they're feeling but also keep people keep normal people safe you know it reduces crime to have less people be imprisoned and it keeps you know it prevents their families from being impoverished there's a million reasons why people might I don't know a million reasons why people might support decriminalization rather than um harsh drug imprisonment policies and um do you have any final words about the research before we move on to the conclusion
1: um no I think that we've said what we could say I definitely would um, I definitely think that people should look deeper into our resources, because there's so much that you like I said there's so much in there that we can't really like, talk about but there's a lot more research. And if you want to know more about the specifics of it all then definitely look into them.
0: Yeah, so we'll be right back with our concluding thoughts.
1: So after doing all of that research, what would you say your concluding thoughts are on decriminalizing drugs?
0: So I would say that my concluding thoughts are like similar to my initial initial concluding thoughts after our intro. I, I think that decriminalization is a, is the better way to go about this. I think that it is better for the society as a whole. Saves us tax money. Saves us, um, you know, from a public health crisis, and also it's better for the individual. It keeps people safer. It keeps people from, you know, being affected so heavily by these addictions. So I think that overall decriminalization of drugs would lead to a safer and healthier society. What do you think?
1: yeah i definitely would agree i like i said i really like the idea of a human health centered approach that i mentioned earlier and i think that the best way to do that would be through decriminalizing drugs and looking more towards rehabilitation rather than um incarceration uh knowing exactly what like decriminalizing is i like support it even more just because like i said like it's under like a gram of heroin it's not just like you can just go out and do as much drugs as you want it's like there's our limits and i think that if we can reallocate certain money in order to have better rehabilitation um then i am definitely for decriminalizing drugs and i hope to see a success story come from oregon from it but yeah so again if you want to follow us on social media you can find us at we know nothing pc on both instagram and twitter and if you want to check out our website you can find that at we know nothing podcast.com. and do you want to talk about what we're going to do for our next podcast episode
0: yeah so our next episode is going to be about should museums be able to keep artifacts from foreign countries and the setup is going to be a little bit different than what we've been doing so <laughs> stay tuned for that And remember, we know nothing.